Hi, we're joined today by Alison Creel. Alison is an experienced head teacher. She had two successful headships, the first being the founder head teacher of a new school, while in the second, she turned around a school in North London and enabled it to sustain success with the school consistently being in the top 100 schools nationwide. Her excellent leadership was recognised in every Ofsted inspection. Alison is passionate about staff and pupil well-being, diversity and inclusion, and social justice leadership. She believes in celebrating the teaching profession and supporting school leaders with the many challenges they face. Alison is a regular speaker at conferences, discussing subjects such as courageous leadership, turnaround schools, well-being, staff retention, breaking through the concrete ceiling, diversity, Ubuntu and anti-racism. She works locally and internationally as an independent education consultant and she is setting up the social enterprise platform above and beyond, creating a supportive and informative community of people with a love of education. In 2018, Alison was awarded Doctor of Philosophy Honoris Causa for Entertainment and Services to Education. So welcome, Alison. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you and for inviting me. I'm going to start with our first question, which is really, can you tell us about your own journey to becoming a teacher? Yeah, so um, in my family, my aunt and my mum were all teachers and it was considered to be like a sort of aspirational thing um, at that time, um, given our, um, our racial group in South Africa, it was the one thing that um, you could become. Um, so there, the, the seed was there, I suppose. Um, and I, and the, the women who were most significant in my life were teachers as well. Um, and then when it came to my time to decide what to do, and uh, you know, go and study. I didn't want to become a teacher because I wanted to do something that was more impactful and it's sort of um, less ordinary, I suppose. Um, and so I started off doing something different, but didn't enjoy it. Um, and as soon as I, um, I can remember sort of saying to my dad that I didn't want to be doing what I was doing anymore and it was like well you have to go to university um, so I was quite well, just a class teenager and I sort of took out a um, there was a handbook of um, university courses and I let it open I said whatever it opens that's what I'm going to do because basically you don't care <laughs> And it opened up on teaching. And as soon as I started training, it felt 100% right. It felt a bit like I'd come home. Um, and I, I knew that it was what I was meant to do. Um, and I knew that I wanted to be um, the teacher that I never had. So I wanted every day to be exciting. I wanted... Um, the um, I wanted the children to love coming to school and to love their lessons. Um, I wanted to uh, give voice to the children who felt like they didn't have a voice. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was, um, it took me a very long time to start speaking as a child. So I wanted to be 
you, I, I was always very conscious of the quiet girls who sometimes get overlooked by the sort of more boisterous behaviour of some of the others. And so I wanted to be there for those girls. Um, and I also really wanted to work in, um, in I wanted to do inner city teaching. And so made this conscious decision when I was, um, when I was uh, completing my course um, to become a teacher in Hackney. And I chose Hackney out because at that point, nobody wanted to go to Hackney. It was just like the worst place on earth. Um, so I knew that I wanted to work in an environment where there was a real diversity, not just in, in colour, but in faith and in class, and just kind of wanting to be that person that could bring everybody together so that, um, yeah, we could, be, we, that we could be, become one. And so I kind of had this big vision in my head always about the kind of teacher I wanted to be and where I could um, could achieve that so yeah that was my journey into teaching and I've never ever had a day where I regretted going into teaching and I still think it is the coolest job if that's what you want to do yeah. it's an incredible privilege it's wonderful yeah. I think that passion is so important isn't it it's, it's, yeah you know that's what makes the days go past it's like if you don't enjoy it it's it's not the profession for you absolutely yeah. i think i've read somewhere alison that you've you've talked before about teachers teachers with soul and that yeah. kind of that description of of as ben said that passion that you bring to it and that 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 you that deep desire to to be there and present and with the children in your classroom yeah. Yeah. I love that expression, teachers with soul. That's kind of stuck with me from something that I read that you'd, you'd written previously. So, yeah. yeah, I think teaching from the soul is really important. You feel it. Yeah. And when a lesson goes well, it's not because someone's come in and observed you and told you the lesson's gone well. Mm. You just know that there's been a connection between you and the children in your class and you've understood each other and everybody has grown. You, you as a teacher have grown from the experience and the children have grown from the experience and it's just like there's that buzz, this excitement. Um, so, yeah, there's something very special about getting it right for you and for the children. And also, I like what you said about it, sort of why you chose that, that going to Hackney, you know, and I think for me as well, being a teacher was always about working with a community sort of not just the children building those relationships with the parents and the yeah. community as a whole because that's you know that makes everything come together as well so yeah and also when you with like-minded adults mm. so people who made so the schools that I was in when I was um actually all of the schools that I've been in where people have chosen to come together to work in in an, an area where which brings additional challenges um, that maybe others would dismiss because of all of the complex um, issues that arise from being there. There's something that kind of brings you together because you've got this, you've got the same mission. And I have to say that some of the, I've met some of the best people through teaching um, because we've been on this mission together and yeah. And, and uh, as a head teacher, trying to find those teachers with soul, you know, finding teachers who 
um, one like children. People always just laugh at me. It's just like, how can that be one of the interview questions? It's just like, well, we take it for granted that teachers like te- like children, but not everybody likes children, and they in teaching for different sorts of reasons. So I think it's a very good question, actually. Um, but one getting people who who like children and then have that fire in that belly in their belly for teaching, um, you know, that soul um, that Jules talked about. Um, when you get that right, my gosh, you just fly as a school. It's really awesome. Yeah. yeah. And just now you mentioned about sort of you wanted to become the teacher that you never had. Uh, so I just wanted to ask, how important is it to have sort of mentors and role models as a teacher, um, especially for those who are just starting out in the profession or even those with experience or like such as school leaders? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 actually it's really really important. So um, there's a quote, isn't there, that says that um, you can't be what you can't see, and there's there's incredible there's that, there's an incredible amount of wisdom in there. But obviously, we can't take it as it's it's not absolutely true. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had the career that I had um, because I didn't. Um, as teach, I had teaching role models, but I didn't have uh, black leader role models. Um, so I needed to sometimes be the first to do things. So clearly, you can be what you can't see, but it comes at an incredible price. The price that you pay is that you constantly, there's an edge. We all have an edge. And... Um, it's, it's about being able to fit in. But when you're the first, you're constantly working out how much of you you can bring mm-hmm. and how much you have to compromise so that you can fit in, so that you can not stand out too much. So that And so you're constantly compromising yourself. And that can lead to unhappiness and it can lead to um, unwellness and all of those sorts of things um, and it also leads to incredible isolation and loneliness even I mean there's loneliness in leadership anyway but when you the only one from your culture in addition to being um, a leader then the loneliness can be acute so I think that having a mentor and having good role models is critical to success. Um, so I, I, I mean, I, I actively sought out people to mentor me and I had great mentors, but I didn't have the role models. But I think that if I'd had role models and mentors, then I would have done an even better job um, because I probably would have felt like I was able to fit in in a I was able to fit in more easily and I probably would have had to compromise less I think that leads us actually really well onto the next question because the next question is how can we create a sense of belonging and is it something that comes from within or is it reliant on the community around us mm. so belonging is something that I feel uh, really, really passionate about, um, and I, I think that we all go. We we spend a huge amount of life trying to fit in, 
Um, and then there comes a time in life, um, and I have to say it comes with age, where you suddenly realise you want to belong to you and you want to start being your true self. And then you realise how complex, you go back and you review all the complex things that happened to you when you were younger and it always comes down to belonging where maybe you made a decision so you could fit in even though um, you probably you, you probably um, didn't really want to operate in that way or be that way or wear clothes that way or whatever it is. Um, and there's a, there's a really good uh, book by um, Howard Ross called Our Search for Belonging, How Our Need to Connect is Tearing Us Apart. And it is so pertinent for now because um, what, he's, what he says in that book is social orientation drives us. And so we're constantly, constantly trying to adapt so that we can fit in but fit into what yeah um and we also know that when you feel socially excluded from anything it causes physical pain um and it causes um it it, it leads to if you if you don't feel like you're part of that group, that feeling of exclusion um, really really causes mental well it causes emotional harm. Um, so there there are two types of belonging. You can either have a dominant role, which means that you're part of sort of you can you get to make decisions, you get to to lead, you get to. Um, you get to be the person that others fit in with. Or you can have a marginalised role where you feel like you're the outsider and you feel unheard and you feel like you have to adopt, you have to adapt to the dominant group. Um, and that means that you feel like you don't belong. Um, and for you to have that connection, the only way that you can do that is by compromising yourself. Um, and that then leads to things like physical illness and anxiety and awkwardness and, you know, you get flooded by all sorts of negative emotions. And then that impacts on how well we do. Mm. And, you know, we all want to be successful. So if we want to feel successful, then getting to feel like you belong becomes the critical thing. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, you know, one, one of the things that Howard Ross talks about is Maslow's triangle where belonging is put it's sort of in the middle of the triangle. Mm. Um, and, um, and, and that's because, um, Maslow was talking about belonging to family, but actually we because of how the world has changed and how we all travel and we, you know, we, we've moved beyond our families. Every single one of us now moves beyond our, our families. And so we create new families and new communities and all of those sorts of things. And, and fitting into those communities um, becomes critical to how we feel about ourselves and how successful we can be. So 
I think that he's absolutely right in saying that that belonging bit can't be in the middle of the triangle anymore. It needs to be at the top of the triangle because once you feel like you belong, everything else flows and um, we, we feel happier and we'll be much more successful as a result. Yeah, <clears throat> I think, you know, especially as, as a parent of a teenager, I'm trying to get my daughter to sort of understand that as well is one of the biggest challenges I'm finding at the moment. <laughs> uh... Yeah. So our teens, our, our teens really struggle with that, eh? because mm. everything is about fitting in, not wanting to be different, not wanting to stand out. Um, and um, that whole social awkwardness. I mean, you, yeah, just mm. seeing that in our teens and, and of course, it's got even harder now. You know, that whole thing about fitting in has become even more complex than it, it, it was when, when mm. I was younger, when you were younger. Um, and so when we look at um, just how our teens are really, really struggling with their emotional well-being, um, it kind of really fits in, fits in and it shows us that we're not doing enough to help our, to our teens to feel like they belong. And we definitely not, we, I don't think we've created schools our teens want to go to. Mm. I think that um, what we've done is that we've removed, we've dehumanized, our schools have become dehumanized. And we've, we've brought school down to, um, we've brought it down to the, to the minimum, to the, the basic minimum, which is you leave school with a few bits of paper, with the right boxes ticked. Mm. And um, for us to to make schools into that means that we've lost all of the human connectiveness. Mm. Um, and I think that if we were to ask teenagers to describe to to to, to design schools, they'd still want they they they'd still put assessment in there. They'd still want um, some kind of measurement of success but I think they do so much more. Mm. They'd want so much more. They design so much more. They want to, they, I think that teenagers are incredibly wise and powerful. And if only we allowed our, you know, if only we allowed arrogance to step out of the way um, and we started listening, listening to our teenagers, um, I think, you know, our schools would be different and our teenage, our, our young people would be happier and I think more successful. Not necessarily in, I, I think we'd still get those tick boxes filled in terms of grades and all of those sorts of things. But in terms of having rounded adults mm. who um, really know that they're contributing to society, mm. I think that's what we'd see. Yeah, I agree. And it, it kind of leads into the next question really nicely uh, which is uh, school leaders will have a vision for their school and class teachers will also have their own visions for the children in their class um, and also for their own career pathway can you talk about the importance of allowing yourself to be visible and how this can enable teachers to share plans and their ideas with SLT um so I mean, that, that just, I mean, it, it really comes back to belonging to yourself so that you can feel happier. Um, and I think it's really critical to be able to show up as you. Um, and, and schools need to find a way to enable 
everyone to feel that they can be themselves. Um, and um, making sure that everybody feels feels visible. So if you were, you know, if you, the schools that do the best job tend to be positive and warm and they tend to have you know, sort of really consistent relationships. You know, you know you've got, I used to have an open door policy, um, which meant that during the school day, I, I used to do my work when everybody went home because I, I felt that it was important to be available, um, whether it was professionally available, but also sometimes just to be a listening ear. People want you to know whether they are okay or not. Um, and to, 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 to be able to see everyone as a human rather than as someone delivering a job description. Mm. Um, and, and so really working hard on those sorts of relationships. Um, and then finding a way, so, you know, in the schools where everybody knows they feel they're accepted for who they are and that they're going to be included in everything mm. um, and they're going to have every kind of opportunity to participate in whole school life. You know, there are some places where you can't get to do things unless you've completed all of your work or your grades are right. So often the, the kids who, who can contribute most to all of these sort of external factors which aren't measured um, are the ones who don't get to go because maybe they have to catch up lessons and all those sorts of things, which means we never ever get to see the best of those children. We see their mediocre results, but they often are the creatives who go out and do incredible things with their lives. Um, and it's the same with the teachers. Sometimes I, I, always, I was always really interested in the teachers who, um, who were quietly being the glue in the staff room and holding people together. And they may not have been the ones who really shone in the classroom, you know, the ones who always would get the outstanding lesson. Um, they'd often be the ones who would be there just being the glue because they understood about connection and um, understood, um, they, they, they wanted to see whole people, they were interested in, individual values and, and, and what people what people brought. Um, and people want to be listened to and to be seen and to know that they've got a voice. And not the voice where others speak on your behalf, but where you know your voice counts. So in a school that's got all of those things in place, those are the schools where they will be interested in individuals and understand that we can have our own visions which can be aligned to the visions of the school um, and we'll be interested in what those visions are and we'll also be interested in how those visions can impact on the school so that the school is an even better environment the school's even richer because of what you bring um, th those are the best schools and um, and uh, I think that it is really, really important for senior leaders to seek to seek that out in anyone working, uh, well, anybody in their school community, knowing under, understanding the vision and and um, and the values that each of those people bring, but also thinking about how best to weave that so that it becomes a part of the school. Um, and the more that the more that schools do that the stronger the school becomes, the stronger the school becomes, the better the outcomes. 
listening to you say that, <clears throat> excuse me, Alison, listening to you say that really made me think about the fact that within a successful school, everybody has a role. So that bit that you described about, you know, that there's the teacher who perhaps, you know, has the outstanding lessons and, and then there are those teachers or perhaps even other members of the school that are the support staff or, you know, who, who are the glue that holds it. Everybody has this a role to play in a successful school and in a successful school community. Yeah. I just want to do one proviso. It's just one proviso. I don't want anybody to think that outstanding teachers don't <laughs> <laughs> have good values and don't do those things. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes the determination to be outstanding can get in the way of seeing. Um, and um, I mean, there, there are amazing people who can can do it all um, but there are some people who might feel less visible because they're not the outstanding teacher because they don't recognize the gift that they bring to the, to the school but that can also come from how they fit into the school so if you are an outstanding teacher in some time sometimes it can be that others are don't want to approach you as easily um, mm because they might feel intimidated and things like that. Yeah. So it, it is an interesting sort of situation, definitely. <laughs> it is. Um, so we just wanted to ask about the concept of kind of what is enough. And so the question really is, we know that workload for teachers and SLT is enormous. So how do we recognise what is enough and, and whether we are enough? And how can the leadership team get that message across to their staff? So I think... It's actually a really, really important question because it's so as individuals, it's about knowing yourself and train, staying true to who you are so, so that you can really embrace life fully. Um, and, and the more you stay true to yourself, the happier, more fulfilled life will, you'll feel about life. Um, if you, there's a quote, and I've no idea who said it, but it, it, it's something like, if you're waiting until you feel talented enough to make it, you'll never make it. Okay. Um, and so until we accept enoughness, we'll never feel fulfilled. And that's so tragic. To feel that you can never feel fulfilled because you didn't accept enoughness is something that we just need to stop and think about every now and again. Mm -hmm. um, and then what happens is if you're always trying to, you're trying to do more because you haven't done enough, it means that you start taking fewer risks and you start your creativity and you, um, you, stay, you stay with what's safe and easily measurable. Um, and we all know there's that thing, isn't there, that the magic is out there. Once you step outside your comfort zone, it, you open yourself up to all sorts of amazing opportunities. Um, so I think that you know there's that and then there's the whole thing about recognizing that work is just work it's not all of who you are um and 
and and so that brings us back to knowing yourself and trying staying true to yourself and learning to embrace fully your, you know your life fully so if you define your success based on your your career which should only be one third of your life really mm-hmm. then um then that means that it's going to overshadow two thirds of your life and we so deserve to celebrate all of us. Yeah. I have a, I have a friend who is a psychologist, a very dear friend of mine, and she, she will always message me thing, little messages, little text messages, and she'll say things like, um, I hope your week is going well enough. <laughs> and it's that concept of it doesn't have to be going brilliantly. If it's going well enough. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, just reminded me of that when you were talking about what is enough and how we and this, measure. Absolutely. And Buddha said, enough is a feast. Isn't that fantastic? That is fantastic, isn't it? It kind of leads us into staff will uh, staff well being, which you know is very familiar uh, amongst staff and schools and everything. But the reality is, it can end up to be sort of a, a tokenistic a thing where you're invited to a yoga session or something like that. Um, how can school leaders put well being at the heart of their school ethos? So right now, we everybody's talking about working from home. And we need to make sure that we're not living from work. Because I think one of the reasons why we probably feeling so down, um, I I mean, generally, as a as 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 people, there's a real depressed. um, There's a real Yeah, I think that we are depressed as a people at the moment. Um, And that is because we are living from work. and that needs to be readdressed and we need to take responsibility for that. Um, I think the main thing for schools to do is to give support to the staff so that they can take care of their own well-being. It's not a school responsibility. Well-being is not the school's responsibility, but ensuring people have got time to take care of their well-being is a, a school responsibility. Um, and I also think just turn the, turn the word around. I I do this quite a lot. So it's not about well-being. It's about being well. What are you doing to be well? And because if you've got staff who are well, they will be able to offer so much more to the school community. Um, and then if you start talking to people about what they're doing to be well, and then it's recognizing that we all do it in, in different ways. So, um, you know, for some people, um, it, the, we do different kinds of sports. We, you know, taking care of your, your physical fitness, nobody questions taking care of physical fitness. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be um, as addicted to wanting to take care of our emotional fitness. Um, but then we need to recognize that in the same way that everyone does um, different types of physical activity to um, maintain their physical fitness it's also making sure that everybody has opportunities to take care of their emotional fitness so whether that's baking or knitting or walking or um, 
you know, everyone is different. And so for schools to prescribe well-being and what it should look like means that you denouncing individuality and you failing to recognise that it's something that we can all do really well. Um, the thing that um, my staff used to have a go at me about quite regularly was the fact that I would talk about being well all of the time. And I'd be doing all of these things to, you know, arrange for people to have time and to reduce workload and, um, and to value family time. All of those things are an important part of well-being. Um, I didn't always model it. And so I needed to learn how to start being a good role model for the whole school community. Um, well-being can easily be a middle-class privilege and I think it should be everybody's right and so we need to make sure that we can um, make that possible. Um, I think schools need to make sure that what they're asking of their staff is realistic and is fair. We need to be really careful around judgment. Are we supporting people to do their very best or are we really wanting people to go home feeling like they're not good enough or they haven't done enough. Um, I think it's recognising that absolutely nobody goes to work each day to fail. Everybody is, you know, everybody's purposeful. Everybody's trying to do their, their damnedest to be, to be successful. So why didn't, you success, why didn't you support them in being successful rather than bringing them down and uh, allowing people to go home feeling like they're failing? Um, and... I also think that the one thing that we need to get over is the one thing that is, is what we always know. And that is that a school is never complete. Mm -hmm. So working flat out to get there is nonsense. Yeah. And we need to accept that every school is on a journey. And we all know that if you on a long haul, journey of any kind you need to take breaks um and uh and then you can continue with the journey um but yeah we just need to get over that you know we need to you know if we do this we'll be complete if we do that we'll be complete you'll never be complete so stop trying to pretend you're going to be and give yourself and everybody else a break and celebrate each day and you know allow people to be mm. yeah yeah it's that kind of I think you might have said it to me actually Alison when we when we spoke before but that that kind of self-care is is leadership concept when you were talking about the, the perhaps what your staff team were maybe saying to you when you were ahead you know and and that's such a such a, an important thing to remember in fact for all of us to remember isn't it that self-care is leadership self-care is is really the central thing and then from that we can as you say be successful in our lives yeah so what happened to me was that uh i suppose i you know i'm, I'm very honest in saying that i have a real problem with work addiction it's something that um is a learned addiction um and many of us have it where we watched our parents work and work and work because that was seen to be um, a model of success. Um, and, um, and 
so I learned to work hard and I worked, um, I worked in a, in a way that wasn't healthy. And then ultimately the, I can remember having a conversation with, uh, my coach who happens to be the most wonderful with Grant. And, um, we got to a point where this, where we turned the school around um, from being a really, really failed school to a really successful school. Um, and um, Austin had been and said amazing things. Uh, the school results were great. We were number one in London. Um, you know, really bucked the trend in terms of what a black working class school should look like in terms of attainment and all that kind of stuff. Um, and those sort of said, well, why aren't you celebrating? And I said, we are celebrating. You know, I've written to the staff to say thank you. We've been out for the celebration meal. She said, yes, but why aren't you celebrating? Mm. And she says, you need to look at yourself. You've done, you've ticked some things on, you've done your ticks in terms of what celebration looks like, but there's no celebration in you. And she just sort of said, you know, you need to take a good, you, you need to look at what's happened to you. And she was absolutely right, um, because I didn't realise how unwell I was and that I'd hit the wall. Um, and I was moving dangerously away from that connection to just doing, doing, doing all of the time. Um, and yes, we were, we were flying. We were absolutely flying, but we needed to get back to the celebration bit. Um, and so I started to look at um, getting well again. Um, and that's where I started to understand well-being in a completely different way. Um, and I can remember talking to my governors about the fact that I knew I wasn't well. And, they, and of course, governors were responsible for my well-being. And so they sort of said, well, what can we do? You know, how much money do you need? And uh, I kind of said that, um, there was no point in just investing in me because, do you, know, do you know, if I was that exhausted and that worn out, then everybody was because it wasn't just my journey. It was something that we had done together. And so if we were going to look at well-being, we needed to look at the well-being of the whole community, not just my well-being. And so then I started to understand things more, uh, I started to understand things uh, in a better way, like valuing my own time, um, taking time to breathe and to, um, to be, be quiet, to start taking better care of my uh, physical fitness. So I started looking at my emotional fitness, I started looking at my uh, physical fitness, um, and then thinking about what can we do in the school so that we become uh, a school that's well and we did everything we we looked at uh, school dinners we um we looked at the curriculum offer we looked at success we started celebrating success we started looking at self-esteem um in a in a different way self-esteem of pupils as well as the self-esteem of the staff um we start and, and even doing things like recognizing that the success that we had that was being written about was absolutely right for English, math, science and SPAG. But there's so much more to people than those four things. And so looking at what success looked like for all of our children so that when they left that school, their self-esteem was high. Mm -hmm. And for us to nurture 
to nurture that meant that we had to look beyond English math, science and SPAG and see what, um, what our children, what, what all of the children were successful in. So recognising the musicians and the creators and, and all of those sorts of things, so that they all had their opportunity to feel successful. And the less that we focused on core subjects being the measure of success, and the more we looked at self-esteem being the measure of success and well-being being the measure of success um, meant that our results actually went higher and higher because we had teachers who felt trusted, who felt valued, um, who were taking care of themselves um, and were teaching well. It, we had children who believed in themselves and knew that they could, they just felt so good. I mean, you could see how successful these children were. It's, it's really odd because uh, I, I store my photographs on, on Google and they do these memories all of the time. And this week I had some photographs of um, some of our pupils who were invited to a gig in the city. Um, and it was, uh, it was uh, mostly people uh, from law firms and it was an evening thing. And I just look at these children, you know, working class black kids in Hackney, mingling with people who came from such a different place to them. But they were there with their drinks, holding their own in deep conversation, just feeling okay, being okay. Um, and, uh, and all of that comes down to well-being and, and recognising um, the, the right, it comes down to belonging and feeling good about yourself and self-esteem. So yeah, I mean, that's a very long answer uh, to why well-being became such a big thing. But what I found was by investing in pupils' self-esteem, staff self-esteem, belonging and wellness means that we became a successful school rather than because we taught four things which were going to be assessed and ticked easily. They took care of themselves. I didn't have to measure it because the children would take risks in their learning. You know, they kind of, SATs happened. So when, by the time we did our SATs, they, um, by the time they did, did their SATs, they already knew they were successful. We didn't wait for the results. Yeah. You, weren't, you weren't measured in that way, were you? You were, you were looking for something more and something different. And, <coughs> yeah. and, that, and that gave you everything else that you needed as well. It's such an inspiring story to listen to, actually. It really, really is. We're coming towards the end and we've got our last question, Alison, which is what advice would you give to a new teacher just starting out in the profession today? And then also um, what about to a head teacher or to someone who's applying for their first headship? It's the same. It's the same answer. And that is be picky. It's not about a school that you're good enough for. It's about a school that's good enough for you. You're going to be spending a disproportionate amount of your life there so go somewhere that's aligned to your values and where you know they're going to accept you for who you are um, rather than expect you to fit in with them 
Um, because if you feel like you belong, um, then you'll have raised self-esteem and you'll go on to be more successful. And, and I, I, it's, it's the only thing that I can really say that's, that's different. Don't ever, ever think that you have to fit in choose somewhere where you've you where the jigsaw puzzles you know you fit in with 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 each, with each other that's really interesting because um i i used to be a student mentor as well um and that's what i always used to say to the final year students is like don't just take the first job that comes along you know find the school that you fit into because as you say it's going to be a big part of your life for a, a bit of time so it is yeah key advice there yeah thank you Alison so much we've so enjoyed talking to you and 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 listening to your 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 advice and your thoughts about how we can we can raise our staff self-esteem and our children's self-esteem in schools and 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 the journey that the never-ending journey but in that that positive never-ending journey that is that is education which is wonderful so thank you very very much thank you it's been really lovely to talk to you